There is joy before the angels of God, Jesus tells us, over one sinner who repents. This evening in the Gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke, we were presented with two images of repentance. Not of sinners discovering the error of their ways, but of lost things being found. We do not read of a lost sheep, one of a hundred, figuring out that he is lost and sort of occurring to his senses and going, Bah, I should find my way home. (laughs) By pure wit and determination. Nor do we read of a lost coin turning itself in. No, we read of a shepherd who leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after the one that is lost. We read of a woman who has ten drachmas, or silver coins, each worth about a day's wage for a normal working person. And she loses one of them in her house, and she lights a lamp and sweeps the house, searching diligently until she finds it. At the core of the biblical message is the conviction that we human beings are so lost in sin that we cannot find ourselves, that we cannot repair ourselves. Self-interest, the very root of sin, has such drastic consequences as to cloud the mind and to cloud the soul. We cannot see by our own light how terribly wrong things have gone. Sin has been described as a three-letter word in which the I has been capitalized. Self-centeredness and its its companions, greed, lust, pride, envy, gluttony, anger, and laziness, the so-called deadly sins, flourish when we are detached from the fulfillment of the divine purpose for human beings, to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. With this means that if we are to love our neighbors with the same, what this means is that we are to love our neighbors with the same kind of vigor with which we selfishly love ourselves. Perhaps even more so. And with that, to love God with everything that we are, every capacity, every thought, and even the unseen portion of ourselves, the soul. And if you're like me, you think, what a disaster that is. And you probably are. In fact, I know you are. No matter what you might say about yesterday's election, and I'm sure you could say a great deal, and I'm sure you will, it is clear enough that Americans are determined to act in self-interest above all else. Both parties, and indeed both presidential candidates, have shown that they are convinced that first, Americans will always act in their own self-interest towards goals that can only be described as utopian. This very morning, Paul Ryan, in his speech, said, Look what a united Republican government can do for you. And he said, Now we can fix all the problems. And if you're like me, you thought, Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Many are not so sure. The problem is this. As long as we Americans act in our own self-interest, out of greed and lust and the rest, we cannot act towards the general welfare. The French visitor and traveler to the United States, Alexis de Tocqueville, wrote in 1834, if the members of a community, as they become more equal, become more ignorant and coarse, it is difficult to foresee to what pitch of stupid excesses their egotism may lead them. 
and no one can foretell into what disgrace and wretchedness they would plunge themselves, lest they should have to sacrifice something of their own well-being to the prosperity of their fellow creatures. He says, I do not think that the system of self-interest as it is professed in America is in all its parts self-evident, but it contains a great number of truths so evident that men, if they are but educated, cannot fail to see them. De Tocqueville was convinced that the answer was simply this, education. Now, I must admit that as a Christian, I find this to be a rather usual and predictable humanist response, and one that rarely, if ever, works. To be sure, he did mean the kind of education in which virtue can flourish. But it is certainly an education without repentance, to be a disciple without discipline, or at least discipline of the right kind. To the Christian, discipline of the right kind is not the discipline which we impose upon ourselves, but the discipline of a people who has lost and is now found. The discipline of a people who love the Lord, who saved them out of his initiative and not ours. It is the discipline of a people who is bound to the Lord Jesus in love. The Christian who is bound to Jesus in love will pursue education as an act of repentance, turning from what is ugly and what is selfish and toward what is good and noble, beautiful and true. I say this, of course, because we're on a university campus, and we often fail to see how getting an education can be an act of repentance, even an act of fruitful repentance for the sake of our nation. But I want to submit to you tonight that that's exactly the kind of thing which you can be engaged in while you're here, and indeed through the rest of your life. You as Christians inhabit an academic world which has in a myriad of ways put wealth and prosperity ahead of anything else. I must say that Baylor is better than others in this regard, but think of the newest and most magnificent and the most expensive new buildings on the campus. Just for a moment. I know you, a number of your liberal arts majors, and you complain bitterly about the state of your buildings. The most beautiful and magnificent buildings are not the chapels, they're not the literature department, they're not the art department. These are often maligned as mere trivialities. But they are not. They teach us to love what is lovable, and more importantly, to be disgusted by what is truly disgusting. A malformed character will find this rather difficult, indeed foreign. But the Christian is one who has been reborn to a lively faith in God, the God of glory, regenerate as one joined to the perfect sacrifice and outpouring of love from the cross, which only the unrepentant can find ugly, but those so joined to Jesus Christ find beautiful and loving and glorious. The Christian's conviction is that the cross stands as an unwavering image of God's love and care for lost humanity. His call to sinners to repent, to return to him, to repent by the power of his grace. The Carthusian order, an order of Catholic monks whose way of life has continued virtually unchanged for almost 800 years. They live pretty much as medieval people in the mountains of France and other places. In fact, they turn down applicants from other more rigorous religious, other rigorous religious orders. They have a saying, and it's stat crux dum volvator orbis, 
The cross is steady while the world is turning. So in the midst of the uncertainty our nation faces, I want to make this appeal to you. Allow the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to transform your life, to deliver you from fear and frustration, and to make you love as you ought, and indeed even to make you study as you ought. The future of our nation depends upon a revolution of the self, in a word, repentance. To turn from self-interest to love, to turn from greed to charity, lust to chastity, envy to contentment, from anger to prayer. And not only this, but to join this repentance to a true education. By your own power, you cannot do it. But by the grace of our Lord Jesus, it is perfectly possible. C.S. Lewis once wrote during a time of instability, World War II being waged right in his own country, frequent bombing raids, about the value of education in the time of war. And he spoke of this life of repentant learning as a way of anticipating the heavenly life. He writes this, if we, had un- if we had foolish, unchristian hopes about human culture, they are now shattered. <laughs> Sound familiar? If we had foolish, unchristian hopes about human culture, they are now shattered. If we thought we were building up a heaven on earth, if we looked for something that would turn the present world from a place of pilgrimage into a permanent city satisfying the soul of man, we are disillusioned. And not a moment too soon. But if we thought that for some souls and at some times the life of learning humbly offered to God was in its own small way one of the appointed approaches to divine reality and the divine beauty which we hope to enjoy hereafter, we can think so still. And with that, I want to encourage you, especially for you who are students as the semester wears on and as you get tired and worn out and as you stare midterms in the face And as all you really want to do is go eat Thanksgiving dinner. And you have the temptation to grow weary. Don't forget to enjoy learning as a holy pursuit. And don't forget the call to repentance. The call to turn to the cross in the midst of it. So those of you who teach, you're engaged in a battle to find what is lost. To seek out not merely the uneducated, but the unrepentant and self-reliant sinner who needs to come to the cross, yes, but also needs to be restored to what is good and noble. Do not grow weary of that task. It's an important one. Above all, there is this. The great project of which Father Nicholas spoke a few weeks ago. The City of God. And we pray that she may be built, even out of us poor but repentant sinners. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.